Hello world, I'm Darren Adams, and this is Juice Worth the Squeeze. So a little bit about me. I'm an operations executive and a business junkie. I am Chicago dreaming by way of Kellogg, MGO Blue U, and Cleveland. I'm a husband to one and father to two. This podcast was created for two reasons. First, because I'm a business junkie and I love all things entrepreneurial. So I've been fascinated with this idea of how founders go from zero to hero. So we're gonna talk a lot about that and hear a lot from founders. Second, I'm just as fascinated with this crazy idea called purpose and how specifically how people's purpose morphs as they move and make their way through this crazy thing that we call life. The second reason I created this podcast was because I was tired of hearing the same boring discussion from founders and business leaders answering the same boring questions in the same predictable way. You've all heard it. So tell me about dot, dot, dot scaling. Tell me about beating the competition, economic conditions in your industry, financing rounds, hiring the right people. Don't get me wrong. All that stuff is super important and given the right context, all of it is super interesting. But this ground is so well covered that that is not what this podcast is gonna be about. I wanted to create a podcast focused on the why, not so much the how. So this podcast is going to be where a place where founders and executives, politicians, famous people, not so famous people can come have a drink, let their hair down and reflect on the journey that they call life. Talk about love, community, purpose. Talk about why they're running the organizations that they're running in this crazy time and how they're doing it successfully. I'm certain the world does not need another podcast right now. In fact, it's, the market's overly saturated. And I'm not sure how people are going to actually respond to this, to be honest with you. But I'm hoping that this does provide a little bit of inspiration for people. We're going to have some fun and we're going to be talking about some crazy things like faith. What does it really mean to live? What's close to these people's hearts? How people find meaning? What does it mean to give to your community? What does it mean to be at peace with yourself? What does it mean to be human? We're going to talk about regrets and we're going to talk about this idea of seeking success versus seeking simplicity. So just like most good podcasts, I want your feedback. Maybe these are the right things. Maybe they're the wrong things. We're going to find out as we go. I'm going to try to keep this podcast around 45 minutes to an hour, but you never know. People tend to get long-winded when you talk about these kinds of things. So we're going to we're gonna sit back and we're going to listen. We're going to try to listen as long as we can, right? I'm going to post about a pod every week. And please bear with me. You know, sometimes it might be one, sometimes it might be two. Depends on, on people's schedule. So we're going to, you know, be uh, working by day, podcasting by night. But give me your feedback because we want to make this better. And, and this is going to be a journey that we're going to go on together. So my hope is that, you know, in some infinitesimally small way that this podcast is going to help inspire you and give you that weekly dose of reflection so that you can see life through someone else's eyes. And maybe, just maybe, the juice will be worth the squeeze. Thank you for listening. everyone. Another beautiful day in the neighborhood. I am your host, Darren Adams, and this is Juice Worth the Squeeze podcast. Our guest takeover today is Whitney Adams, 
And I'm starting what will hopefully be an annual tradition of having Whitney start out the year and join us on the pod. Whitney is the Managing Director of Asset and Property Management Services at International Airport Centers. She graduated from the University of Michigan, where she played varsity soccer for four years. I'm lucky to call her my wife and a good friend. This pod is basically just going to be a conversation about life, love, and Whitney's journey. So without further ado, Whitney Adams. Juice Worth the Squeeze is a podcast that is going to explore people's professional lives. We're going to talk to a range of people, both international and domestic, and we're going to talk about three things. One, family. Two, community. Three, purpose. And we're going to mix in a little bit of business and a little bit of pleasure as we do and have a little bit of fun. So how we always start the pot off is with a drink because we're, we're just not that serious here. What are we drinking? It is New Year's Day, 2021, January 1, 2021. And what do we got? What's on tap over there? Mimosas. Yeah, we're drinking mimosas, but we've got some La Marca Prosecco. We're starting the year off right. Normally, this is a whiskey pod, but we're, you know, this is we'll see what the guests like. So this is guest choice. Okay, welcome. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> a little nervous? Kind of. Yeah, well... The booze will take the edge off a little bit. Okay. So tell me, one of my favorite podcasts is uh, Knuckleheads, and they always ask their favorite question, who bust your ass when you first got to the league? Since we're not talking, you didn't bust your ass because you weren't in the <laughs> league, but this is a business podcast. What was that first, tell me about that first professional moment when you realized that you weren't a kid anymore and that, oh shit, I'm actually a professional. Tell me about that first experience. I want to say when I decided to switch jobs, take a new job because it was a, it was a big decision moving from my first job, big, big kid job out of college to my second one. Cause it seemed like it was a lot of adult decisions to make what was right for myself, family, my career was probably the most difficult decision to make sure I was taking the right steps forward. The difficult part was making a decision about switching companies. You weren't sure about whether or not you were doing the right thing to switch companies from what you were at CBRA and then you moved to international airport centers. Yeah. Just making that decision. Like, is this the right move? Is it not the right move? Trying to sort out and vet what I felt was best for my career. You know, those are always tough decisions when you, or trying to make those switches, who did you lean on? I know your manager or the guy that you're was going to be your manager was pretty influential in helping you make that decision. In fact, I think he even, you accepted it at your job and then you had a pay package and then he came back at you and said something. Yeah. I can't remember what he did say. He asked me always counter. He told me always counter. Yeah, I mean, you didn't I was, counter. You, I didn't. I didn't. <laughs> you just accepted the first thing, right? I mean, I thought about it. I just didn't even, I just didn't know. I just... Like 22, 23, 24. I was young. So I just didn't know. So he told me you always counter. And that was the first lesson. And, and I knew that he would be a good person to help me move my career in the right direction. Yeah, he was great. I think I always find it interesting. I know since we're married, I know a lot about your personal life. So you've been lucky in that I feel like you've had some good mentors along the way. So tell me about people that have mentored you, mentored you along your journey here? 
Yeah, it's been interesting because you can tell almost immediately working with people what their motivation is and whether they're willing to see a bigger picture and helping to not necessarily grow themselves, but grow the people around them. And those are the people that I like to be around. And it's interesting how quickly you can determine that from people. And those are the people that I wanted to be around. So it was, um, I had a couple of them in my career, still do, which is nice, but we're always learning, we're always growing, and it's been beneficial to have those people in, in, in my life. Well, you know what You know what we got to do? We got to do a proper introduction. So why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are, your role, your background, and, and then we'll, we'll pick back up with mentoring. All right. I went to uh, University of Michigan. That's where I, I met you. Lucky you. <laughs> I would say lucky you. <laughs> I'd say that too. <laughs> then I moved out to LA, worked in Hollywood for a quick minute, decided it wasn't right for me, and moved into real estate, and then went to work for CB Richard Ellis, CBRE. Uh, so that's where I got started. And I work in property management and asset management of commercial real estate. And then I've been working at, I uh, moved over to IAC Properties or International Airport Centers. And I've been working there for probably about 12 years. So yeah, we own, build, develop, manage buildings, big commercial industrial buildings. She's being modest. I think your title is something like managing partner for operations or what is your title? Yeah, I'm managing director yeah. of asset services. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Okay. So that's that's not trivial for a, a how big is your, your organization? It's growing. It's not that kind of a podcast. <laughs> no, their organization's pretty big. They have how many square feet do you guys have under management right now? Over three and a half million and growing. Very good. Okay. All right. So let's talk a little bit about, you know, we'll talk a little bit about mentorship and then we'll come back to this. Actually, I think what's interesting, little known fact, Whitney has a family friend and we won't disclose that family friend's name that got her a job in, in Hollywood and she wound up working on a movie. What was the name of that movie you worked on? Brother Solomon. Which by the way, so I, I went and visited Whitney while she was working on the movie and I was watching it and I thought, good God, this thing's going to be a disaster. And it's turned into like a cult, like classic. It's weird. It's the weirdest movie ever. Yeah. Like it was, we went and watched it and people were walking out of the theater, but now like people like love it. Yeah. It's weird. Yeah. I'm like in, I'm in one of the scenes in my white Toyota Corolla, my first car at a college that was named Carol, made it into the movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it actually was. I, <laughs> it, it, was, it was interesting. It was really interesting. What was interesting about it? Just how they make movies. How my actual car made it into the movie was when they film car scenes. I'm not sure every car scene, but when they film, when people are in vehicles talking. You're on a green screen. You're on a green screen. Yeah. But they have to pre-record what's going on behind them. Or post, I don't know. But they need footage of people driving down the road. And so they had a camera on the back of a truck and they mm -hmm. said they needed someone to drive behind them. That was me. Oh, 
Oh, that's right. Okay, so you were they were pre-recording it. Aha. Because they need something for the green screen. They don't just Got like it. go into Google Photos and get like a video of someone driving down the road. They have to record the footage of, and even it's like timed, like, oh, we're going to take a left. Oh, we're going to, you know, at this light, you're going to, you have to get all sorts of privileges to let, you know, from the city, which LA is fine. I mean, they, they do this all the time. So yeah, it was interesting. So cool. it was interesting too. I mean, just the times of day that you had, it's hard work. I mean, they are to film those movies. They're working all the time. It's insane. But there was an alley scene where you had to be in the alley and the, they had the team go out and they had to steam clean the alley before they actually shot in the alley, which I thought was interesting. So just all the all the precautions and everything that goes into making films is pretty impressive. Yeah, very cool. I know when I was there, I was yeah, I was shocked at everything that was going on behind the scenes. But it was it was yeah, it was pretty it was a pretty cool experience, I'm sure. Okay, so tell us back to this whole idea of we have our three themes here of loving others, community, and purpose and meaning in what you do. You know, as a mom of two kids. How do you find time to, I know there's always this constant struggle with a lot of women to quote unquote juggle things. And I don't find it juggling so much as I find that, you know, at least in our household, you wind up bearing the burden of a lot of the work. So how do you manage that? Well, I think the dads and the moms should all be juggling the same. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. I wish I could chip in more than I do. You do a phenomenal job of managing a lot of that work for our family. So how do you do it all? I mean, it's not perfect whatsoever. There's days where something's got to give, but it's just managing my time and everyone's time. Sometimes I get frustrated because sometimes I, I miss things, but sometimes I'm only looking, I can only manage to look a couple days ahead and if I would have looked a month ahead, I could have planned certain things a little bit better. Mm-hmm. But it's time management, and it's not ever perfect. So, what are some tips or tricks that you you kind of use? I know we have a we have a whiteboard in our house. What else do you do to kind of help keep yourself organized and keep the family organized around all the the crazy things in the kids' schedule and your schedule? I think just maximizing your time. So throwing a load of wash in before you leave to go for the day or you know what I mean or not like not letting things pile up I try and touch papers once like get rid of them I try and yeah tackle things right away because I find if I delay it just compiles the issue it's just organizing the day what we've got two kids and one of our kids is 12, and we got a big gap between our oldest and our youngest, who's five. How do you kind of, what are some of the things that, that as we're kind of raising our daughter, that you're kind of like, I'm absolutely going to make sure that she has this experience. I didn't have it, or I know this is going to be one of those forming experiences to kind of help move her along in a, in a direction that, that you think is going to be best for her. I mean, I was very fortunate I don't have all the answers, but I was very fortunate to have two parents that were absolutely phenomenal. And I was very supported in so many ways. Interesting because I'm a twin mm-hmm. and it's interesting to see some of the things that affected, I mean, Courtney, my twin sister and I lived the exact same experiences, 
literally we would go into the exact same room and we'd walk out with a different thought about what just happened. And I think that that's fascinating. So I think it's, it's fascinating how I've interpreted some things that happened in our childhood and how Courtney has interpreted things in our childhood. And I don't think that there's anything that I missed in a sense. I think that what my parents always instilled in us are things that I still think are lacking for females and women in this world. And just knowing that you can do anything that you put your mind to, you can, you know, that the sky's the limit. And there is no limit, really. And I think that's what my parents taught us. And I just want to make sure that our daughter knows that as well. Do you see any... So our daughter is what I guess they technically be called biracial. Do you see any unique challenges in, in how we're in raising a daughter that, that has uh, multiracial? Yeah, I do. But sometimes I don't recognize it in the moment. Let's give some examples. Just, you know, learning about the history and things that I may not necessarily, I mean, I was, I was raised in a very open household, but there's, I know that there's a lot of things that I didn't understand that I'm still learning today and making sure that she understands those things and that we're supportive and that she is a difficult subject. And sometimes I don't know if I'm the appropriate person to discuss it with. So it's hard for me to teach that side of it. Yeah, it's, well, it's different for me as well, you know, because I know when, well, for, you know, growing up, we've always grown and I've always raised predominantly in, in in white neighborhoods. And so, you know, for, for me, the experience that I've had is, is different than the experience that I see our kids having just because, you know, I think, well, one, it's time's gone along and I think people are, are way more inclusive now than, than when I was growing up. And then too, I, I just think, uh, you know, as a parent, I've kind of seen how you approach certain situations in terms of just always being inclusive with everybody. I think that goes a long way towards her feeling like she's a part of the group and, how she's developing. But it's interesting though, because there's things that are said to me that I don't know really necessarily how to respond. So like Dylan asked me, our youngest asked me, he said, my skin's not brown, but when I, the older I get, it's going to be brown like daddy's. And how do you respond to that? Because it doesn't matter if you think you're going to get to be daddy's color when you get older, who cares? You know, (laughs) I don't even know how to even have that discussion with a (laughs) five-year-old. I always I always try to end it with uh, okay. Then we're getting ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So one of the things, a, a big theme about what we're trying, juice worth the squeeze, is trying to you know get across. Is uh, I know in in business a lot of times, you know, there's the uh, this constant need to kind of be on the treadmill, and so I think one of the things that we're trying to show is that there's a lot of depth behind what people, who people are. And, and, uh, to that end, one of the things that we try to kind of bring out in a range of different professionals to try to show how really connected most people, more people are than they think was this idea of, of, you know, loving others. So to that point, I'm curious to tell us about something that's, that's close to your heart. I guess the one thing I've found interesting in the last few years is I was sick four years ago, I said, you mean you had cancer? Yes. And I found it interesting when you get 
sick, what becomes a priority. And I've heard so many different stories as to what, like when people get sick, how they find meaning. Yeah. How they find meaning. And, you know, some people want to travel. Some people want to, they lose their, some people become a little bit more paranoid. Some people, you know, it just, it's interesting to see how people have reacted and responded to something similar to what I went through. But I actually, it was, I don't know if it's just a phase that I'm in in my life, but I just, I didn't want to travel. There was nothing I wanted to see. There's nowhere that I wanted to go except to be home with my kids. That was it. And that is what is important to me. There's no job that's going to take me away from them. There's nothing. I don't need to see the pyramids. I don't need to see anything. I'd rather be here with them. Because it's so, they're in such a fleeting age where they're going to be older and they're not going to need us as much anymore. They're going to want to be hanging out with their friends. They're going to be wanting to, they're going to be going to college. They're, you know, they're going to be out of the house for a significant part of our lives, but this is the part of our lives where, you know, I think it may change later on where I'll change my priorities, but my priorities, it was strange. I thought that I would want to do all these things and see all these things. Nothing mattered. Nothing. You know, it was interesting. I, when I, so I worked, when I worked for Bear. When I first got there, I was in that project management class. And then I, I got to meet a lady and she was healthy when I met her. She was a product manager for Bear. And then uh, I believe her name was Erica. Then she got cancer and she wound up marrying a, one of the really nice guy on the, on the supply chain team. And the thing, uh, I think she got that, her cancer was different than yours. I think it was, it got to be terminal pretty quickly with her, but what they did is they actually, they did the opposite. She went all over the world. And he told me that like they did, she wanted to go see whatever she wanted to go see. They went and they, they did. Yeah. And he said, we, we did it all the way to the point where our budget just, we didn't have one more dollar to spend. And it was interesting. So I know when she and I talked a couple of times, one of the things though, she loved traveling and loved music, which, and so she became like this, they, they like avidly went to concerts and so I agree. I do. I find it interesting how people respond to illness or, you know, some sort of terminal illness or just illness in general, what they find, like what gives them comfort. Mm-hmm. You found it in home. I'm wondering if it in different time in my life, if it would be different, but I do, I truly feel like I missed out on a year of our son's life, an entire year because I was so sick and I just couldn't be there for him. So I think there's a part of me as a mom that wants to make up for that time and you feel like you've missed so much already. So I think people are at different phases. I'm wondering if it would have happened when I was 60, if I would be like, no, we're going, we're hopping on 17 planes, we're going all around the world, if I would feel differently, but I didn't want to go anywhere. It just, just wanted to be with my family. That's it. One of the things that I'm curious as, as a professional, a lot of times, you know, people use, you know, how does faith or, or the idea of faith put it in air quotes? Cause it means so many different things to many different people. What does that mean? Tell us about what that means to you. In terms of work or just faith in general? Both. Faith. I am not a defined religious 
individual. Is that because you believe in aliens? I do believe in aliens. <laughs> That's another issue. <laughs> I I actually didn't know that you did. Oh, I absolutely do. I am a spiritual person. I've had issues with religion in a defined manner because I think that you can find spirituality through many different types of religions. And I think that some people can get so narrow-minded with the formality of religion that it can be harmful Mm -hmm. to society. Sure. I mean, even look what's going on in (laughs) with the pandemic. I mean, we have church down the street where they decided to continue to have church during COVID. Their pastors died. I mean, it's just, you know, you just, you've got to understand the religion can't be bigger than common sense, in my opinion. So my faith is deeply rooted in being a kind person, following the golden rule, treat people how you want to be treated, plain and simple. Yeah. And I I find in even in work when you treat people with respect and dignity, I think it's hard to be in the corporate world. I've I've watched people who try and do the right thing and have been trampled on by corporations. I will never forget when I first was hired at CBRE, I did very well when we first started and they promoted me immediately and I still was on you know, a like the probationary period where before they formally offer you the job. And I was knocking it out of the park, but we found out we were pregnant with Tori. And I refused to sit in the office and not tell them that I was pregnant when they hired me. And I didn't know what kind of legality issues that I could have been running into. And call me naive, I know a lot of people would be like, what is wrong with you? Why would you even say anything? It's none of their business. But I didn't feel right sitting there just saying, look, this is what's going on. I'm here for the long haul. I really like working for this company. I sat in and my boss was a female and she said, we're not telling the corporate. And I found that very interesting that here's someone who has a bright future, who's doing incredibly well at the company, and that it's something to be fearful of and I could have easily lost my job. I could have easily, they could have easily not. And yeah, there's other liabilities on them not giving me the job either because based on me being pregnant. But I felt it was right. And I I feel like I cemented trust in my team by opening up. But they also, I trusted them that they would do the right thing as well. And I think that there's a lot of corporate environments where there isn't that trust and you try and do the right thing and you get stomped on. I know we had, so you and I had different experiences with that because you felt like you you wanted to come out and and be honest about having Tori. And I know, so at the same time I was working for an also a real estate company, but my real estate company was considerably smaller and I was nervous about it and I chose not to because I didn't want them to think that it was, that I, it was going to impact my work. And... And I didn't want it, I didn't want them to treat me differently for it. So that was right around 2008. You were having that concern, and I, I remember we were talking about that. That that was a, a real concern whether or not how much to share, how much you shouldn't share, whether or not you'd still have a job or not. It wasn't easy. Well, and unfortunately, 
some of the most vulnerable people are in the worst positions to be trampled on by corporations. It's true. It's hard. So all I can do is in the job that I have is treat people with respect and dignity and treat them as if, as how I would want to be treated and set that example. So my favorite question of our, uh, on our predefined script here, we're not going to rip rip up the script just yet, but there's a script. Oh, absolutely. So what does it mean to live? What? You heard me. (laughs) What does it mean to live? I mean, I think that varies on a day-to-day basis, but I think if you were asking, it's, that's a interesting question. Go ahead and answer it. (laughs) I don't know. I mean, I think, I know it sounds, I know this may sound silly, but I think that you do what sparks joy. Doesn't sound silly at all. So there's things that I do on a daily basis that I feel that sparks joy and in who I am. And I, I think it helps make me feel more confident and happy and fulfilled is I find the things that spark joy. Do you find that more in your work? Or are you finding that that outside of in, in things that you're doing outside of your work? And how do you bring bring those sparks of joy into into what you're doing at your at your job to keep you kind of going motivated? I really like my job. I do like problem solving, and I think that that stimulates me. I think when I help solve a problem or something gets resolved in a positive manner, that stimulates me and makes me happy. So and it's not monotonous. So there's things that change on a daily basis. And so it is, I enjoy that. And then on my personal life, there's certain things that I enjoy that I feel spark joy that I can do on a daily basis that are my hobbies. Some people may not think that they're hobbies, but they're my hobbies. So I like house projects. I actually love house projects. I think it's People probably drives people nuts, but I I love house projects, so I love a good DIY. <laughs> I know a lot a big part of a lot of organizations' uh, missions are are how they get themselves in, involved in their community. Talk to us a little bit about how you get yourself in, involved in your in your community, and what does it mean to be you know a member of, of a community for both of you in, in your organization and outside your organization. You know, within the organization, it's great getting to know local vendors. I mean, we own buildings throughout the U.S., so it's it's great getting local teams involved, local businesses involved in our projects. So even though we don't, you know, we're not necessarily in some of our locations, all of our vendors, everyone's local. So it's great to support the communities in that manner. And really, the, the vendors in our areas are really our eyes and ears for those buildings. So they're the ones who can help resolve issues quickly and we can lean heavily on them. And when we have good vendors and uh, we're able to have a good partnership, it's great. In our personal community, sometimes some things get missed. We recently went downtown and there was a couple stores that closed in our recent neighborhood. Just made me frustrated that in recognizing that we need to be supporting our local downtown areas because they're really fun to have 
They create a good environment. It's fun for our kids to go to and just supporting our local communities, restaurants. And I know a lot of people have been hurt recently with everything that's been going on with COVID. How does sports play? uh, So I know in you, so my wife, she won't say this out loud. I got to remind her all the time, but she played soccer in college. How does, how does our daughter playing soccer contribute to building community for, for, for you and for the family? Oh, I mean, soccer was everything to me growing up. It was something I absolutely loved to do. It was a great, I mean, I still remember the parks going growing up that we would go to with my dad. I remember all the tournaments, really great memories. I've created great friendships through sports. And I, I see that forming with, with our daughter, which is, it's fantastic to see. And it also creates a sense of self-worth and teaches character to kids. I think sports are just fantastic. So, you know, I always find this interesting. So you were a big team sports player when you played soccer in college. I ran track and I walked onto the football team for spring ball and then didn't play after that. And I always find the the difference between like you're as competitive. I think you're probably more competitive than I am in certain ways, but like, what do you think the difference is? I see a difference between playing an individual sport like track or like tennis versus versus playing like a team sport. Because sometimes I, I almost feel like sometimes you, you, you need an, an individual sport to kind of bring it out of you. Because like, so a great example, when I was young, I used to wrestle and I actually got our family into wrestling. And the reason we got into wrestling is because I was a big WWE fan. And so I would go to the YMCA, which my mom was like on the board at the, our local YMCA. And I would see these kids in the wrestling room and I was like, it's the WWE. So for the first year, I would constantly get pinned and I would like tap myself. I would like do the one, two, three. And as I was getting pinned and I would, as I was doing it, but then like my brother, uh, my older brother was who won wrestling in college for Princeton. He was a captain, phenomenal wrestler. Although he he knows that if when he and I wrestled, I'd I'd get him. I was also 20 pounds heavier, but (laughs) And like seven inches taller. <laughs> well, it, it's tough being a tall wrestler. But I know that that used to make me like when he would win all those tournaments and he'd like, he would win everything and he'd get trophy after trophy after trophy. <laughs> and then one time, like we were at, it's was, it was called the holiday tournament uh, for Weston YMCA. And it was this huge tournament. And Milo pinned his way through to the championship. I think he won like seven matches that day or something crazy. And he had this huge trophy. And I'll never forget this. And my mom made me, she goes, she goes, Darren, why don't you put, and I, I wound up getting like a participation award or something like that. <laughs> this is when it turned for me. Uh, and then she made me pose with his trophy. And there's like a, actually a picture of it. I got to find it. And I was so angry. I was so angry at that, that I was like, I am not. And so then from that point on, like I progressively kept getting better and better and better. And like, I was just like, I'm not, I'm not losing. And I think that was like when I was maybe six, six or maybe seven. And it's interesting because like I, that kind of carried over in every sport that I ever played in. And so when I was in college, I remember my track coach said, uh, Fred LaPlante, shout out, came up to my mom and said something to the effect of, you know, your son has this weird way of backing himself into a corner and then just coming out fighting. It's just the weirdest thing. He just refuses to just like, it's just weird. Can we just get him to just 
go hard like that, like 99.99% of the time, all the time. And my mom was just like, I mean, I know he's trying. It's one of those things that like, like when we would like have these meets, like everybody else would like, they had their little routines and all their, their all this other nonsense. And I would just get out there. I do a little stretch and I was ready to go. I wanted to just compete. Like I wanted to just go and compete. I hated losing. And I, I hated the idea of like, I don't really see that in team sports all that often. I don't know. In my opinion, I think that there's nothing greater than a team sport win individually. I disagree with that. So individually, I'll bet you Usain Bolt disagrees with that too. And Michael Phelps. I think it's harder. It's harder to win as a team for sure. There's a lot to be said when you can, when you can pull it all together. It's like magic. It's when it's like, I guess when I imagine, and some people are different, but when I imagine, I was never intimidated by other people. I wanted the people around me, everyone to just to do well. And so I wanted it all to come together. I didn't want to be on a podium and look to my left and look to my right. And there was no one there. My uh, high school coach used to be like that. He used to say that all the time. He's like, Darren, he always had these great one-liners. Again, shout out to Chuck Kyle, best coach in America. He would say to me all the time, he's like, Darren, there's nothing better. You know, when somebody wins something, you know what they do? They hug someone else. Damn right. Yeah. They look to hug somebody else. Yeah. And he's like, he's like, that's the thing that you want. And it was funny when we were, what was it? Uh, my senior year, we were, tr- we were not even supposed to win the state championship. And I'll never forget this. I, like our coach, they were all counting the points up, like how the ways that we could win it. And somehow a bunch of stuff fell right. One of the guys on our, a sophomore on our team wound up placing in like, two different events that he wasn't supposed to place in a guy made it to the finals. who wasn't supposed to make it to the final and all these things kind of cut the right way. And so I'll never forget it. And it, it came down. If we were thinking if none of these things had worked out, we were thinking to ourselves, well, we can probably still win. And it was going to come down to our race and it was going to come down to the four by four and winning the four by four. And we had to that point had run the fastest time in the state in state history. And then by the time the, that last event came around, I'll never forget this. One of my really good friends, Trevor, he wound up out of nowhere placing, I wouldn't say it out of nowhere because the kid was super fast, placing second in the 400. And that kind of, that cemented the win. So all we needed to do, all I needed to do was literally start the race and we would have won the state championship. All that needed to happen is like, I just couldn't false start. That was it. And I'll never forget. So our athletic director. You didn't false start, did you? Our athletic director, I'll tell you the story. <laughs> oh my God. Our athletic director oh my God, walks up to me before the race and he was the guy who was on the gun. And he goes, okay, Darren, you know how this goes. I'm going to call everybody to start on your mark. I'm going to hold everybody at set and then I'm going to call the gun and give the instructions. Then he gave the, he gave the instructions to everybody else. He's like, so there's no need for you to don't jump the gun. Don't, you know, none of that stuff. Because keep in mind, what we were trying, there's two, there's two races within a race here. There was the, us just starting to win the race. And then there was us racing against this other team that thought that they could beat us. So uh, my coach, who was great, comes up to me right before the, right before the event. And he goes, he does this thing. He always, he always used to do this. He goes, Darren, just don't fall start. <laughs> do a thousand one, let the gun go off, count to a thousand one and then go. And I was like, and I looked at him, I was like, but, but I don't want to be, I want to, but I don't want to, I don't want to lose my leg. He's like, 
He's like, I know you're trying to be funny, but this isn't funny. <laughs> <laughs> so walk up to the gun. We walk up. I get ready to go. On your mark, set. The gun goes off twice, indicating a false start. It was actually the team that was supposed to be, we were supposed to be running off against the guy. Had, he false started. So we basically had won it anyway at that point. So I was just like. Did your coach have a heart attack though until he realized? <laughs> I think they did. I don't yeah, know. They're like, oh my God, Darren. I, I, I don't know. But I did. I counted to a thousand one. The gun went off. I counted to a thousand one. And then I went. And then I, I remember as I was looking out of the corner of my eye, because they were all at, the, at the, uh, the, first cor- the first corner, everybody was like going crazy out of the corner of, of, of my eye. And I could see them all like super excited. And we wound up killing everybody in the race anyway. And setting like a state record at the time, a state record. But yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I think I saw friends to this day from that. There are moments where it wasn't necessarily, listen, it is very hard to be at your top physical performance every single day, right? Mm-hmm. So an individual sport, you can get someone on a bad day. Most people. You can have good days and bad days. And it's about consistency. However, some of the greatest moments in my career were not necessarily my greatest moments. And it was the team's greatest moments. Like I remember, and people being there for you, you make a mistake, they're there to pull you guys back out of that. It's so much bigger than yourself, which is, it's hard to replicate that type of a feeling. I mean, it's magic. I agree. I agree completely with you. All right, so last question for you. So what does it mean for you to... Seek success versus seeking simplicity. Seek success over... Versus seeking simplicity. Well, I don't know why. Why does success have to be different than simplicity? didn't say it does. Well, in my opinion, sometimes the most simplistic problems to solve lead to the most successful outcomes. What do you mean by that? I mean, look at Amazon. People needed books, school books. I mean, that was ridiculous. Amazon is, uh, I, you know what I love about that Amazon example? Everybody assumes that that's like, uh, that. the story of Amazon is, is a very complex story. I agree. However, they were trying to solve, yes. Super complex. The guy, what he did was, I see where you're going Where it started was a simple problem that needed to be solved. A lot of problems that need to be solved are simple problems. Doesn't have to be this complex. Where do you see quadrilateral triangle? Oh boy. Where are you going? Times pi. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, that's my last question. We did say that we'd come back to this idea of, of you talking about aliens. Go ahead, Goose. I saw an interesting. So, you know, I'm a big Joe Rogan fan. Shout out to Joe Rogan. He'll appreciate that. <laughs> he's definitely not listening to this i saw this uh he, he's such a alien conspiracy theorist guy i don't know if it's a conspiracy theory at all but anyway he doesn't think they're real no he does well oh, yeah. i mean i think so he's gone down that rabbit hole like pretty darn far how can you think that we're the only living organisms in in the solar system so here's what's super interesting and i mean i've been i mean there's a lot of really super interesting topics that, that revolve around aliens super intelligence, you know, this convergence to convergence, super intelligence, yada, yada, yada. Anyway, yeah, the headline, yada, yada. <laughs> shout out to 
RIP Michael oh, Breckwald. Uh, no, I, so I, I used to have this, this phenomenal, uh, this manager who he had a really innate ability to kind of get right to the problem right away. Like he was German. And so he'd get right to it. And then he'd start explaining his thing. And then at some point he'd start trailing off and he'd just always, he'd always end every sentence with yada, yada, yo. Oh. <laughs> so so I, I've kind of continued that tradition. Anyway, aliens, apparently the government is going to, after they sign, I guess, buried in the defense act that just got passed, there's a disclosure that's going to happen for where they're going to disclose like what they know about aliens. And they've already said this already, which is kind of phenomenal is that they, is that the government's basically admitted that, that the unidentified, I, I forgot what the actual name that they're calling UFOs. They don't even call them UFOs when they're, when the military spots them, they call them something else, but they've been tracking. They like, there's been a lot of activity in both on the West coast and the East coast on the, across off the shore. And they've, they basically disclosed, I think is this week, they said, the military said, yeah, these craft aren't of this world and they have technology that is far superior than, than our technology and we can't do anything about it. That was disclosed and it should have been a worldwide story, but literally nobody knows about yeah, it. Yeah, but how, how do people not, to think that that is not a possibility is being very small-minded. I don't know. And it's incredible that that their technology is advanced enough that it can come into this world. If you so again, I, I went down the rabbit hole on this, you know, sometimes how I do that with some of these things, these topics. And so there there have been some pretty interesting over the years, some pretty interesting disclosures that have that where people have talked about like the technology that is available and this idea that it's a fascinating topic, which I'm excited for anyway, buried in that defense act is the government is going to disclose whatever information that they have apparently within 15 days after it's signed. Who knows if that's going to happen? Unlikely, but we'll see. You would think that some of it is still classified. Like there's like, I would imagine that there's like classified on classified on classified. You know what I mean? Like there would have to be, in my opinion, there's probably tiered classifications. So there's probably like, there is like, they're releasing the tier one classification there is human life outside of this world. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Yeah. Well, stay tuned. Anyway, well, thank you for being our first guest. I really appreciate it. You've been uh, a very gracious guest. Again, thank you for being on the pod. I really appreciate it. All right. Oh, 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 oh. It's all clear, perfectly crystal. That was episode one. Thank you for listening. So I'm committed to releasing at least one of these pods per week. So give me your feedback. You can hit me up on Twitter or on the gram. On Twitter, you can find me at Darren underscore A underscore CEO. On the gram, just Darren.M.Adams. If you have any ideas for guests or any suggestions, feel free to just slide on into those into my DMs. Thanks so much for supporting the podcast. And we'll be right back here next week.